Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Welcome to FaithBridge. Thanks for swimming in today. Uh, you guys get the trophy for that. Welcome in Center Court East. Welcome in Center Court West. Welcome in the Woodlands. Welcome online. However it is that you're here, we're really glad that you are here uh, today. So take your Bible, because you're going to need that. And if you don't have one, why don't you just flag down an usher, and they'll be glad to uh, give it to you, give you one. You can keep it if you'd like. It's our gift to you. And we're going to go to the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament in just a moment. Let me talk about something that we're going to do this evening. And as of now, we're going to push forward with it. If the ditches finally rise to a point that the, that the roads are impassable, then, then I guess we won't. But we're going to go ahead and for now say we're on for this evening, 5 p.m., a special night of prayer and worship. If you're new around here, we do that about every month or two, just an opportunity to do more of what we were just doing, singing, worshiping, not a sermon, just more time for prayer and just meeting with the Lord. And so uh, 5 p.m., hope that you'll come back and be a part of that uh, this evening. So, let me introduce to you our speaker for the day. Her name is Julie Bullock. I met Julie about five years ago when she came to do some coaching uh, for me and our team here at FaithBridge. And for reasons that you will see momentarily when she comes, uh, we found ourselves just quite drawn in to her high-octane, never-ending energy and her incisive mind, very clear thoughts and and good guidance that we found her consistently uh, giving us. She's a very sharp thinker, but she has a very warm heart for the Lord, and it's just a fabulous combination. And so um, she's continued to help us behind the scenes, but I think it was about a year ago or so I heard her Uh, speaking in a context more like this, and I found the Spirit of the Lord saying to my spirit, you should just have her come and do this for the whole church. And that's when we began to talk about her coming uh, today. She's on the teaching team of her church in Chicagoland. It's called Community Christian Church, a great church um, in Naperville, Illinois, and she, she is always on the go. She was here and spoke to our staff this past Tuesday. Since then, she was back in Chicago. She has been in Jacksonville helping a church. She was in Wisconsin helping a church. And then she flew in to our swampland last night uh, to speak to us today. Uh, I think that you're going to find her message very uh, inspiring and thought-provoking. So I'm looking forward to you getting to hear from her uh, in just a moment as we continue this transformed series. Uh, but first, I want you to take a look at the screens and let's just uh, listen and watch us a story of a family that is being transformed here at FaithBridge by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take a look. My name is Sean Mansour. I've been coming to FaithBridge for five, six years. And I am Aaron Mansour, also five or six years. 
when we first moved to Houston, we were developing, um, we were having a lot of problems in our marriage where we weren't seeing eye to eye, we were struggling a bit. And out of the blue, she just suggested that we try to go to church. A postcard from Faith Bridge came in the mail and she suggested we give them a try. It was a little uncomfortable at first, but then when we sat down and we started absorbing it and becoming a part of it and listening to the sermon that Ken gave, I knew this is it, this is the place. As we progressed in our walk, I wanted more. And I got involved with the parking team and the lawn team. And she was involved with the first aid ministry. Uh, we were getting more and more involved. Church wasn't just Sundays anymore. It became um, throughout the week. I have really, really enjoyed serving, whether it's here or going to mom's group or going to Pine Cove or taking a phone call from a friend saying, my kid hurt his ankle, we look at him. You know, I love doing that. After that, I uh, started a micro-discipleship, and that's really where the most dramatic changes in my life started to happen. At the same time was kind of the All In campaign as well, a couple years back. Having money be the focus of my life and truly was my God and my motivation to give it away freely was something new for me, something very different. So I'm like, okay, God, you told me to sell my house and uh, change my job, and now you actually want me to tithe for the first time in my life. It's like, really? So I was in a very uncomfortable situation, but um, I was led to surrender and be all in with that. I understand the All In campaign was, was focused around money and giving back to the church. But again, that was only part of it. That was, it was how it starts to transform your life and you start to go all in in your workplace, at your home. My relationship with my kids and my wife has, has blossomed because of all this. I think that we all were living four separate lives before and now we come together as a family. His perfectionism has been, he is very much a perfectionist and he has let go of some of that which is huge and he's so much help with the kids now because they are getting harder and harder <laughs> coming home was a chore now it's a blessing i want to get home i want to be with my family i want to be with my wife i want to be with my kids i want to go to my my son's football game i want to go see my my daughter cheer if there was one word that i can summarize my micro discipleship with it would be surrender not just what's convenient not what's comfortable but all in and the financial part of it is just one little facet. The focus becomes so, so much more God-centered than self-centered. And it's through that surrounding process that I became aware of, of, of the need for that. At the end of the day, you've, you've, you've got to take that trust that God will provide for you. And I've, to this day, I've never seen it not. I mean, he's there. He's got your back. Let's praise God for that story of transformation. Well, the, the Mansour family is the picture of exactly the word we are talking about today, this word of surrender. And uh, I'd like to start us off by sharing a little story. Uh, back when I was in college, about 15 years ago, I went to Wheaton College in Chicago. Couple, couple of Wheaties back there, okay, I love it. Well, I was in my sophomore year of college and I was going over to have dinner with the gentleman I was dating at the time's family. 
And so some of you might remember when you met your in-laws for the first time or, or something resembling uh, that type of interaction. And uh, it's a little bit of a nervous moment, especially, you know, his mother is making dinner for the first time and I want to make sure that I eat all of it. And so most of the time when you go to someone's home, they serve a meal in two ways, either family style where you're able to pick your own portions at the table or buffet style where you're able to walk through the kitchen island and, and, and still pick your own portions. Well, this particular evening, possibly because they have an eight-member family and they were worried about rationing the food, uh, our portions were already uh, pre-portioned on our plate. Now, for someone who really just likes carbs and sweets, <clears throat> it was a little difficult for me to see a huge chicken breast, a, a big bowl of salad, a bowl of baked beans, a pile of green beans, a dinner roll, and probably some other things that I, that I blocked from my memory because there was an abundance of them. Well, I'm looking at this bowl of baked beans, and I know I'm speaking to a bunch of Texans here, so I hope this isn't blasphemous, but I don't like baked beans. And there's this whole bowl of them, and so I'm looking at this, and I know that's where I need to get started. So I'm, I'm really getting started on this bowl of baked beans. I go back over here to the chicken breast. I'm going over here to the dinner salad. Don't really eat a lot of salads, but I'm doing that, going back to the dinner roll. Love those carbs. And I'm going back over here to the baked beans, and I'm feeling real proud of myself because I'm just about finished with this bowl. And there's like two or three beans left. And I look across the table to his father, which is an, he's an intimidating attorney in town. No offense to any attorneys in, in the room, but you can be kind of intimidating and gruff sometimes. And so I look across at his father and he says with a stern face, were you going to leave any for us? Apparently, that bowl was the entire eight-member family's bowl of baked beans. I'll say it was an interesting night for a couple of reasons. I'll just leave it right there. <laughs> a little delayed laughter there, I appreciate that. I share that story with you. It's unfortunately every bit very true. And to this day, his father still tells it, and clearly so do I. But I share that with you because there is a parallel in that story that has to do with the topic we're talking about today. See, that evening, I was so focused on my own sphere, my own place setting. I was very nervous, and I was so focused on just this area right here in front of me that had I even looked out one time, just one time, at anyone else's place setting, I would have noticed that no one else had this massive bowl of baked beans to the right of their plate. But I didn't. I was so focused right here in my own sphere. And I'll say this, this topic of giving and transformation and sacrifice, this, this topic is sometimes something that we don't talk about very often. It's kind of like religion and politics. You don't want to bring it up at a party. And, and you know, this topic of giving, especially in church, is something that um, even right now as I say it, there's some of you, and it's okay, I've been there, like your stomach is kind of starting to tighten and you're wondering, we should have stayed home today and what, what are, where are we going with this today? But this topic is very much a polarizing topic in the church, isn't it? It's that very thing that can sometimes kick someone out the door of a church faster than anything else. But yet we also know it can be something, as we even saw with the Mansour family, that can draw us into deeper communion with God when we surrender to him than possibly any other topic of our discipleship. 
And so I wanna encourage us today as we engage with this topic to be okay to just look out at those other place settings for a minute because I do believe that God works through us talking and sharing about this topic and even sometimes being a little vulnerable about it. So we are talking about this word today, surrender. And so I'd like to start just with a definition of that word. To surrender means to abandon oneself entirely to, to give up, abandon, relinquish, to give oneself up as into the power of another to submit or to yield. Now we as Christ followers would say, when we would say to give oneself up as into the power of another, we would capitalize that A, wouldn't we? Because to surrender, for many of us, whether you've made that decision to fully follow Christ or if you are still on that journey where you haven't yet made that decision to fully surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, we know that this meaning of surrender for Christ followers is with that capital A as we surrender our lives to another. When we surrender, we give up the authority that we have, or sometimes that we think we have, and we put that authority into the hands of uh, of someone else. When we surrender, we acknowledge that things will now be different than they were before, that the measuring stick by which we measured things, that we evaluated things, will now be different. When we surrender, it's a decision that we make. It's not a hostile takeover. It's not something that we are forced to do. It is an actual willful decision when we surrender. Now, us who've surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, we are acknowledging that it is not our power that had saved us, but it is by his grace alone that we are saved, isn't it? That again is the power of surrender. So today for this series, why not use a word like sacrifice or like tithing? Why use the word surrender when we're talking about this topic of transformation through giving? Well, last week, Pastor Ken talked about the topic of awakening and how when we awaken ourselves to the fact that we do even have um, an issue at all with, with greed or with this depravity that we have and not fully embracing who we are in Christ and how we would want to give generously back to him, that this awakening must happen first. And so when we talk about this topic of surrender, very intentionally, we're not using the word sacrifice or tithing because... I'm gonna get a little controversial here possibly, but I actually have a huge problem with tithing. Huge problem. And so I'll tell you this, I'll come right out and and just kind of say this. The problem with tithing sometimes is that it becomes an assumptive biblical principle. It's kind of like the Nike slogan. Sometimes we're told to just do it. Just trust God, just do it, and see what happens. And there's an assumption that's made that the person doing the trusting, that the person doing the just do it, and even in Malachi 3, the very biblical place where tithing was first mentioned, there's an assumption behind that from the believers at that time that they actually were surrendered to the laws of Christ, the laws of God. And so often when we just go straight to the just do it, we are assuming that somebody would fully understand what it means to surrender when in fact, in the Old Testament, when tithing was first mentioned, Jesus had not yet come and we did not know what grace was yet. It was simply a law that we were being asked to obey if we were following God. Now we obey obey laws for many kinds of reasons. We obey laws out of respect, 
We obey laws sometimes out of fear. Sometimes we obey laws out of an obligation. We do also obey laws out of love and reverence for the person or entity who made the law. And we obey laws out of a commitment to obedience. But rarely do we obey laws out of a recognition of a grace that we've been given. In fact, it's typically quite the opposite. We obey laws often so that we never have to experience grace needing to be poured out on us for a law we did not obey. So what happened when Jesus came then? What happened when Jesus came? He came so that we might have life. He came so that we might have grace, so that he might take away our sins. And not that we wouldn't obey laws anymore, but now we would live in light of grace, thus motivating us to live in light of him. And it's a very different concept than just obeying a law in itself. I'd like for us to look at our passage today, which is found in the book of Luke, chapter 18. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open it up, or the passage will be on the screen as well. I'm going to begin in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own, <clears throat> their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, I know you just met me, but I'm going to get a little vulnerable with you for a second, if I might. I was just like this Pharisee for a very, very long time. I grew up in a church just north of Tulsa in Oklahoma. And when I was 13 years old, I made a decision, a decision that I still wear, represented by a ring um, on my left hand. I'm 33 years old. Um, As much as I would love to be married, I was engaged once but I've never been married and I don't have any children and I've never had sex. A decision that I made when I was 13 years old in a youth group that taught very well the laws of God, I made a decision to obedience that I've kept 20 years. Now, when I made that decision of obedience, for about 15 of those years, it was strictly out of the law. It was strictly out of, I was told not to do this, and I want to honor God by not doing this. Amidst ridicule, amidst people questioning it, amidst all different kinds of things, it was a law that I committed myself to. About five, six years ago, something changed. I lead a women's small group every Tuesday night in Chicago. And about five, six years ago, there was a woman, I'll call her Kimberly, about 28 years old, who started coming to our group. Very sexually active. 
And she was talking with me about how she was not quite sure she wanted to commit her life to following Christ. She was not quite sure of all the rules that it would require and all the things that she would have to obey and wasn't ready to follow those rules and to change her lifestyle. But as I and others discipled discipled Kimberly, I saw a transformation happen within her and thus one began to happen in myself. See, Kimberly began to realize that following Christ isn't about rules. It's not about obeying laws. It's about surrendering to the one who paid the price for us and being so in awe and in debt of him that we live our lives in such a way to honor that. And when she fully understood that, when she began to fully understand why she would ever want to surrender, why she would ever want to do those things, the decision when she became baptized, she recommitted her life in a way where she committed to be pure, she committed to do other things, but not because she was obeying a law, but because she was surrendered to the one who saved her. A transformation happened for me in that moment. The decision Kimberly made at 28 years old was far more honoring to God than the one I had made at 13. Now, don't get me wrong. It is very, very important to be faithful and obedient to what God puts before us. But without an understanding of what true surrender means, I was not surrendered to the Lord at all in that decision. In fact, I often resented it and resented God because of it. When I was engaged, I almost compromised on it because it's very easy to compromise on a law, isn't it? It's just a rule. But to compromise on grace is something different. When we realize that the Lord who who died for our sins has done something that we could never do, given us a debt we can never repay, he has grace on us, not that we have to follow every rule perfectly, but that we are desired to live in light of who he is in us. See, this tax collector, he got that. And in this story, when the Pharisee says, he stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you I'm not like other people, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. And that is the stuff I used to say all the time. I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue what it meant to truly surrender to God. See, we often jump too far on this tithe conversation. We assume that people have already surrendered when in fact, sometimes they're just obeying. And here's the other problem. There's many of us that because it becomes such a law that we choose not to obey. And we live like Kimberly did for so long on this giving conversation and saying, I don't want to tithe. I'm not going to obey that rule. I don't understand it and I don't believe it. And neither one of those sides are surrendered. Now, I'm willing to bet that none of you walk here around Faith Bridge and say to one another, did you see what I just put in that plate? Did you see what I just put in that basket? I double tithed today. Did you see that? I did a triple tithe last week. Did you see that? I bet that none of us have a humility problem when it comes to that with one another. In fact, it's probably very much like that dinner table I told you about where we keep those things to ourselves. Now, I think sometimes we don't have a humility problem with or a pride problem with one another, but rather with ourselves and with God. 
See, sometimes it's very easy to get very prideful about what we do give, about the laws that we do follow. See, I don't have any children, and I'm not married, and so for me to tell you the percentage that I give is not even helpful, because I'm looking at some of you that probably have four kids. You might have a child with special needs. You might have parents who are in a nursing facility that you're paying medical bills for, and you have a very different picture than I do. And so for me to tell you the amount or percentage that I give, or for you to tell me the amount or percentage that you give, is just not helpful. Because what God wants is our heart. He wants our transformation. He wants our surrender. And here's the thing. Sometimes the question is not what we are giving. It's what we're not giving and why. I'm going to say that one more time because this concept for me has been possibly one of the most transformative things in how I give. Sometimes it's not what we are giving that God's concerned about. It's what we're not giving and why. See, whatever that remainder is for you, when you think about the 100% that God's given you, if it's 90%, 80 60 whatever the remainder is that you're not directly giving, why is that? And I'll tell you this, God's not asking us to give him 100%. He's asking us to honor him with 100%. And so for many of us, when we think about part of what we're not directly giving, part of that's our home. So God's not asking you to sell your home and live in a shack. He's asking you to honor him with your home. He's asking you to be surrendered to him so that when you see your home as his possession, when someone walks into it and they spill something on the couch and you never want them to come over again, that you surrender that to the Lord. That when even if you have two homes or if you have multiple places where multiple guest rooms where people can stay, that there's nothing wrong with that. God's not asking you to get rid of that. He's asking you to honor him with that. And so when we're asking ourselves, it's not how much are we giving, it's what are we not giving and why, because I would venture to guess this, that while there are many things that we are honoring God with, I bet there are some that we're not. I was 26 years old when I heard a couple talk about how they were giving to, to a campaign, kind of like you did with All In, and that they were committing to give some of their savings to the Lord. Now, at 26, I had never really heard of that before. I had heard about giving out of your current income. I had heard about percentage giving. But at that age, I had never really heard about the notion of giving to God from resources he'd given us in the past. Now, the house I grew up in, my father was a very conservative financially person, and I appreciate that. But it caused me to grow up with a little bit of an um, accentuated view on saving. And so when I started working at age 14, I was told to save 50% of every dollar. And as I got older in college, to save at least 20 or 30%. And so by the time I was 26 years old, I had this, I'd say, unhealthy view of what it meant to put a priority on saving in my life. Because here's what that was revealing. I was not surrendered to God's provision in my life. I was wanting to control my future environment. See, for some of us, when we ask ourselves, what am I not giving, what am I not giving and why? God reveals to us things that we are honoring him with and things that we're not. A couple of years ago, I realized that I was getting my nails done about every month for $45. Now, 
I'm looking out at many of you women and your nails look much more beautiful than mine are this morning and I'm not telling you to not do your nails. But when I was asking myself this question, God, what am I not giving and why? The Lord revealed some idols in my life that I had of security and acceptance. And so for me, doing my nails was, I still keep them very hygienic, but it was a pride issue. It was an idol issue for me. And so not only was I wasting $45 a month on an idol, but I was serving God in a way that was not surrendering to him. And so two years ago, I decided that needed to not become a part of what I was not giving. See, for so many of us, we can very easily, very easily, and praise God for your faithfulness, praise God for our faithfulness, that we would give to God in such a way that is obedient, that is rhythmic, that is faithful, but he's not asking us to do that solely. He's asking us to honor him with 100% and to ask ourselves that question, what are we not giving and why? I wanna speak to two different camps that I think we have in here this morning. I think there's some of us that maybe you haven't taken that step of of tithing or of giving before because to you, you're, you're like my friend Kimberly and you just see it as a rule. You see it as giving to the man. You see it as something that you're not going to do just because someone's telling you to do it. Well, I'll tell you this, I'm not going to ask you to tithe today. I'm going to ask you to do something much bigger than that. I want to ask you to surrender. I want to ask you what's holding you back that God doesn't truly have a hold of 100%. I want to ask you that it's not about what you are giving, it's what you're not giving, and more importantly, why? for you to dive deep so the Lord would have that conversation of conviction like he does with me daily, by the way, because you know what's so powerful with that question is you're never finished with it. And so what he can challenge me on at 26 is even different than what he'll challenge me on yesterday and what he challenged me on a couple years ago. And so I invite you, if you're someone like my friend Kimberly who hasn't yet made, didn't yet make that decision to, dis, to surrender because she didn't want to follow those rules, I don't blame you. I don't want you to follow rules for the sake of following rules. I want you to surrender because of who Jesus is. I want to talk to the other camp of us. There's some of us that we have been giving faithfully for years. And praise God for your faithfulness. Praise God, I I fall in this camp myself often. That faithfulness of a double tithe or a triple tithe or capital campaign gifts or whatever they are, those are good things. But I wanna challenge us that it's not about what we are giving, it's about what we're not giving and why. And has our giving become comfortable and routine where it's not a transformative process? See, this series is all about transformation because giving isn't a transaction. It's supposed to be something that's transformational and making us more into the image of Christ. That's what it is. It's discipleship. And so is our giving still changing us? Is it still something that when we do it, the rest of our lives are different? Is it really governing the rest of our financial decisions? And I want us to ask ourselves that question, God, will you reveal to me what I'm not giving and why and so that I can surrender 100% of that to you? Do you know someone who's ever gotten into a a mortgage situation that was kind of too big for their britches? 
you know, your, your friend of a friend got into a mortgage situation where we probably shouldn't have been in that situation, and, and, and what did it do? When that mortgage was too big for their britches, it literally affected all of their other financial decisions. It governed everything. Someone who's surrendered in their giving, truly surrendered, their giving is too big for their britches. It doesn't fit in their current situation. It doesn't fit in their budget. It's something that actually governs the rest of their financial lives because they're fully surrendered to it. And so I ask us today, is our giving something that's changing us? Is it something that's transforming us? Or has it become comfortable in routine? Or have we just not done it because we've just thought it was a rule? See, generosity is not something that God wants from us. It's something he wants for us. It's not about a percentage. It's not about an amount. It's about our life. I want to pray for us this morning because I know that this this particular topic, this is something that when released, we know it 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 can cause so much joy. And also when released, it can cause so much pain. My own brother doesn't attend church largely because of how churches he have attended have talked about money. And so I'm more passionate than most anyone could be about that when we talk about this subject of surrender, that it is a biblical subject. It is a surrender gospel issue for us to recognize what Jesus did for us, and it is our response to that is the only way we should give, the only motivation by which we should ever surrender. And so I want to pray for us this morning that even as we go back and we think about that table with the beans, as we think about those other place settings, I want to challenge us Would you invite someone else to look at your place setting? Kimberly let me look at hers. I let you look at mine. Would you let someone look at yours? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are in awe at what you have done for us. We are absolutely in awe at the fact that your son would come to die for our sins when we don't deserve it. God, that your son would come and truly (laughs) cause us to live in such a way that we have grace and we no longer need to follow rules for the sake of following rules, but that we want to live our lives in light of the one who saved us. And God, I want to pray right now for that first camp. I want to pray for that, this section of people within the sound of my voice that, that, that are like Kimberly, that have not yet decided, they have not decided to go into this area of giving because they've seen it as merely a rule. God, that they are currently, they're, they're giving more to, to AT&T and to Macy's and to the, the greatest taco joint than they are here to you, but because they don't want to, but because... This idea of surrender is new. God, I pray grace that they would experience your grace and respond to the gospel and not to any rule-following action. And I want to pray for this second camp, and I put myself in this camp, God. Those of us that for years have been faithful, maybe decades have been faithful to give, God, would you shake us up? Would you challenge us that we have never arrived, God? But that 100% of what we have is yours, both our present and our past and our future resources. 
And God, that we might look at our whole lives, we might look at every possession that you've given us as yours, and that we would never be comfortable, we would never be prideful, we would never be like that Pharisee God, but we would be like that tax collector and say, God, forgive me, I surrender to you, show me what you'd like for me to do. God, most importantly, that we would all be transformed by your spirit and your spirit alone. And that there's no words that any of us can say, but the words that you would say that would truly do that. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your invitation to join you in your work. We are grateful for it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hello, I'm Adam McIntyre, and I am joined by Julie Bullock, who just preached part two of our Transform series about surrender versus obedience in our giving. Julie, thanks so much for being here with us. Uh, we have a few questions that have come in uh, in our postscript uh, texting and whatnot. And so the first question is actually, it's a little off topic, uh, but after looking at it, you said you wanted to address it. And so uh, someone texted saying, a couple years ago, a slide was presented showing how much goes outside the doors of the church uh, in relation to giving. Is there any way to show that number again? Is there any way that they can know how much goes outside of the doors of the church? Yeah, that's, a, that's such a great question, and I'm, I'm sure Ken and others uh, will, will definitely address that with the actuals, with, uh, with all of the breakdown. That's a great question. But I, want, I wanted to say this, if this is encouraging. I think often, and I've spent some time with, uh, with Faith Bridges Finances, and I will tell you, um, there is not a dollar that gets wasted here. And uh, sometimes it feels like duct tape in a dream. Even uh, there's just a lot of uh, stewardship and thought that goes into that. And but here's here's what I will say about the internal dollars versus the external dollars. While there are there is a significant chunk mm -hmm. of the dollars that come in that go outside of the doors of, of Faith Bridge. Um, I fully believe that every dollar is missional. And so even the transformation that happens of marriage reconciliation and, and children finding their way um, uh, to Christ and and just even the preaching of the gospel each week and the what we're doing right now, I mean, all the dollars that go into each bit of ministry at FaithBridge, um, we, we wouldn't be doing them if they weren't missional. Right. And so if that's helpful, even as we think about that external, um, internal split, um, it really, they're all 100% um, missional dollars. But it is such a great question. And I know Ken will want to provide soon a, a breakdown of that. Absolutely. Well, and it is helpful to know, uh, while we might not know right now the specific figures for what exactly goes out, mm -hmm. we do know that every single dollar goes towards our mission of making more and stronger disciples of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So that's good. Um, and then there was another question that came in. They wanted to know, I guess, the practically, how can we practice surrendering to someone? How can we, um, it's a difficult thing to do. There's not just like an ABC list uh, of steps to take. And so in your opinion, what are some practical ways that we can actually submit ourselves to Jesus? Yeah, you know, when we're when we're surrendering to another and in this case mm -hmm. to the Lord, it it means actually a denial of uh, of self. Right. And 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 oftentimes more than a denial of self, a denial of other other things we've been 
surrendered to or yeah. slaved to. And so, I, you know, I mentioned this in the message, but many of us are slaved and surrendered to our mortgages. You know, others of us may be slaved or surrendered to a certain person that we're trying to impress, or it could even be a work-related uh, situation. We're surrendered too much to, to our jobs. Yeah. And so I'd say the first practical step is really let's acknowledge what we currently are surrendered to, mm -hmm. what we might be enslaved to, um, so that we really are seeing that step of release. Yeah. And then secondly, I would say this, one of the, one of the points um, that I mentioned in the message near the end is the importance of accountability, mm -hmm. the importance of opening up and, and sharing about your road to surrender with someone. Right. Uh, all throughout scripture, uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus very much told uh, his, his teachings in stories, in parables that mm -hmm. involved most of the time mul multiple people. And oftentimes in our faith, I mean, we were not meant to do it in isolation. Right. Uh, God uses the voices of others to bring us closer to Him. And so I would just encourage someone who's really trying to determine how, how would I really move, move beyond obedience to surrender, to challenge themselves to be, to be fully open and fully vulnerable. And yeah. uh, as hard as it was even for myself to do that today, it's, it's one of the first paths to truly acknowledging God to see all of you. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny how a lot of times we don't realize how many things in this world are constantly demanding our allegiance mm -hmm. even. And when we do things like um, spend time in prayer or worship or even in our tithing, the choices we make, we make with our tithing, that's us declaring our allegiance in a way and saying, um, you know, we're surrendering ourselves to you and not to our mortgage, not to all these different bills and not giving our time to all these other things that aren't worthy of it, but we're giving it to Jesus alone. And so that's really helpful, especially in, in community where the community can help kind of cover those blind spots that might, we might not be able to recognize absolutely. on our own. That's absolutely uh, vital. And, and the final question um, uh, comes down to a lot of times we have a difficult time recognizing what is obedience versus surrender. So mm -hmm. how do we know when we're acting out of obedience um, versus when we're acting out of surrender. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. It's really, as you read through the Old Testament, you know, pre-Jesus pre dying for our sins, the followers of God at that time, it was, it, it needed to be based on obedience. It needed to be based on, on the laws that were put in place. And so, I'll say this about even um, acts of obedience, even even now as we're living in this, you know, post Christ, um, you know, He has died for our sins. We are living in a grace-based way. Obedience is still an important part of that step. And so, just as I shared my story, I, I believe that obedience. There's no way I possibly could have understood everything at 13 that mm -hmm. I needed to. Um, but we cannot stay in obedience. Right. And I would say, oftentimes, if we're trying to assess whether we are operating out of obedience, giving out of obedience or giving out of surrender. It's, it's that point of, uh, I'll use two words, vulnerability and all. Mm. You know, I think it's really neat. Faithbridge did the, uh, a couple years ago, the all in initiative yeah. and truly the heart of even that initiative, the word all it's, it's a surrendering word. I yeah. surrender all, but yet we rarely do. We rarely do. Yeah. I surrender one line item. Even if it's a very large line item, right. we can feel really prideful about that. Mm -hmm. But true surrender, whether it's uh, talking in totality about our lives or, or what our sexuality or, or, or our obedience to the Lord, our study, our, our community groups, whatever it might be, true surrender, though, as it relates to our giving is is truly saying, God, you do have 100%. And so yeah. that's why that question that we talked about today, this what am I not giving and why is so mm -hmm. important 
because otherwise we will operate and never feel like we're ever giving enough if we right. build it what we are doing. Yeah. But when we ask God that conversation about what we aren't doing, it reveals the areas that aren't surrendered, right. even if maybe we've, we, we've been obeying into a high degree. Right. Absolutely. That's incredibly helpful. Thank you so much. And thank you, Julie, for being here with us. It was wonderful having you. Your sermon was incredible. And thank you, uh, everyone that is tuning in. We will see you all next week. Thanks for joining us for PostScript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.